Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, we have back Albert Eisenberg, commentator, Young Voices. We're gonna chop it up about student loan debt forgiveness in America. Albert, good day, welcome to Indisputable. Thanks, Dr. Richie, appreciate you having me back. I appreciate you being on the show again. I don't wanna presume what you know, believe about the impact of student loan debt forgiveness or if it should even be a thing. So I want you to give us your sentiment. Well, my sentiment is I have a unique experience having personally taken out a ton of loans and been graduated from Georgetown College with more student loans than anybody else I knew. My family qualified for financial aid, but we didn't quite get over the hump to get the significant amount. So I actually graduated from undergrad with six figures of student debt, which is pretty intense debt burden, much higher than the national average. But to me, it was worth it because I got an education. I learned about the liberal arts, how to think, how to write how to talk and I learned some about business. I don't think that's necessarily true for everybody. But having worked very, very hard and harder than a lot of my peers, knowing that I was taking out so much debt, that actually created a situation where I valued my degree, I think a lot more than a lot of what I call the rich kids who came out of the same program that I did. And I think creating a situation where everything is quote unquote free doesn't actually create value and would probably degrade the education system. So let's talk about that because yes, I've sir. heard this argument. It's a fascinating argument to me. And if you bother to read it, I actually have a research paper that talks about the cause and effect reality of adult learners, specifically black adult learners, and the prohibitive cost of education. So there's one school of thought that says education is too expensive, okay? And then the other school of thought says, well, if you make it cheaper, I'm talking about price tag, not quality. You then start to lessen the quality of the curriculum or you decrease the skin in the game from the student. So let me bring your attention to something that's already reality. We don't have to look at a research study. We don't have to assume what may happen in the future. And it's called work source or workforce development. Are you familiar with that program? Not necessarily a federal program, but I understand the concept of workforce okay. development. Yep, so, so workforce development is a federal program that basically gives money to local state governments and sometimes city governments that have a particular population threshold in order to train the residents for free, okay? And they train them on technology and technical trades so that they can get this education at no cost, but they can still receive quality education. Well, they started that program years ago, brother. That program is one of the absolute best programs to get someone out of generational poverty because it teaches them how to become a welder. It teaches them how to become an AC repair guy. It teaches them how to work and become a mechanic as it relates to cars, vehicles, etc. So this program is free for the student, no cost. And there are a few of the programs that have a very minimal cost. You know what has not been compromised? The product, the students who graduate from those programs. They are just as competitive, if not more so, than those who engaged in the trade school and had to pay for it. So you have an actual real life scenario. 
that happens every single day in America through that one program that shows just because it's free to the student does not mean it degrades the quality of education produced in that institution. So how are we still making the argument, brother, that if school is less expensive, that it equates to a downgrade of quality education? Well, that's a really interesting point and interesting argument. And I think you'll find a lot of people on the right who wish to support the working class like I do. And people on the left can find agreement that we need to invest a lot more in the trades. I mean, good luck getting a plumber or a dishwasher installed right now because we have a labor shortage. Meanwhile, somebody can come out of a trade school and make $90,000, $110,000 a year. And this is a hand up out of poverty. People can support themselves. So I'm all for supporting the trades. What I'm not necessarily for is subsidizing degrees that don't necessarily, I think we have enough English majors out there. And that's coming from an English major. I paid for mine and I worked hard to get it. I think there's a big difference between offering somebody a once in a lifetime chance out of poverty and the the grit and the toughness somebody like that would enter into a program with knowing that this is their chance up versus just subsidizing an upper middle class kid who graduated with a bunch of student loans and now can't make up the payments because he got a women's and gender degree and there's just not enough you know need for that in the marketplace. Well, I would rebut this, that there's actually a shortage of, of, of English teachers. So the English degree can get you some money right now. Um, the issue that I think we may find some synergy on uh, is the reality that education, college education in particular, costs too much damn money. And I'm a college professor. And as a professor, I refuse as a principal to teach at colleges where the tuition is unaffordable. I refuse to teach at them. I have lectured at a few as a one stop lecture, but I refuse to be a professor at that particular institution, okay? And that's because I wanna make sure that students have access to quality education without having to break the bank or get loans that cripple them. So I think we agree on that, am I right? Yes, sir, I think the cost of higher education is far too expensive. And if you look at how it's outpaced the cost of other goods, it is due to the growth of the administrative bureaucracy in in higher education. And in some ways people would argue that it's because we've subsidized and um, scattered the cost to the taxpayer through all of these incentives for people to join and get a degree. And we, one other thing which I think you'll agree with is that we need to sort of revalorize manual work, trade work, such that people don't necessarily look down their nose on being a plumber or a welder or frankly a sanitation worker. Yeah, I agree 100%. I have a great partnership with a technical school here in Atlanta. It's actually a high school that does technical training in the 11th and 12th grade. So by the time the student graduates, they actually are certified as a plumber or certified to work in AC repair or a few other things, right? So that's great. They can always fall back on that. That's a skill in America. You can fall back on a skill any day of the week, right? Good stuff. You don't necessarily have to go to a traditional college. Um, Many people would not and that's absolutely fine. Here's the issue I have in this debate primarily. When we start talking about let's eliminate student loan debt, I think that's a good sentiment and here's why. You and I agree that it's out of control as far as the cost. 
You and I agree that it's out of control, partly because of the governmental bureaucracies that are involved, and also the accredit the accrediting agencies where you have to pay into these agencies to support their evaluation matrix, which is required by the Department of Education, and you have to keep that going every cycle. That is a real cost to education, okay? So you have all of these variables, the cost continues to increase, not decrease generally. So you agree that the federal government is at least partly to blame for the out of control cost to go to college, right? Yes, I would agree with that. And I would say, you know, the the growth of the culture that says every single person needs to go to college and get a degree and anything less than that is not a successful life is also to blame for that. Yeah, there, there's this culture dynamic and, and I'm with you on that. Now, generally speaking, statistically, if you have some college or a college degree, you end up earning more income over the duration of your life. That's not debated. Uh, science at all, that's not debated statistical science whatsoever. Uh, so having a college degree is better than not, is my point. Now, when you have a college degree, but you have crippling debt and you can't buy a house, that's problematic, right? So so let's go to this, let's go to this point. You agree that the government is partly to blame here, and, and the, the cultural uh, dynamic is partly to blame. Well, if the government is partly to blame, that means that they need to submit at least partial remedy if they have partial blame, right? Uh, it's an interesting line of thinking. Why don't you continue no, with it? It's a logical line of thinking, <laughs> brother. Come on with me, man. Be open to this idea. You admit the government is partly to blame for the out of control cost of college education. That means at least, at least, just come with me a little bit. They should be partly responsible to get it under control. Yes, I just don't think this. The way to control costs is by deciding at the tail end that everything's free. I think the way to control costs is by not funneling people who don't need to go to college into college, because that increases the demand on degrees when they don't need to be getting degrees. Improving K through 12 education so people can graduate and earn a decent living for themselves from America's public schools, and probably reducing state you know bureaucracies in state-run education systems, improving educational outcomes rather than funneling more people to college and then on the tail end saying your degree was free, which means all the taxpayers are paying it. And as a final point, as you mentioned, these people who hold college degrees are out earning their peers by over a million dollars over the course of their lifetime. This is a subsidy for the wealthy. And whether it's Elizabeth Warren's plans or Bernie Sanders plans or Joe Biden's plans, all of these end up going to the top quintile, the top two quintiles, and it's subsidized for the rest of us. Yeah, so I don't like the plans that allow for anyone to apply for the student loan debt forgiveness. And there are some progressives who have presented that plan. I disagree with those plans. I agree with the plan that actually looks at your um, your wages, your income, uh, what you already make, yes. make that as a prerequisite. So that's my contention. Uh, number two, let me give you the numbers, brother, because uh, right now, you have many who would benefit from a student loan debt forgiveness program. And the government, as you have already said on this show, is partly responsible for the out of control debt that exists. So let me give you some stats. People of color would benefit the most, and let me tell you why. Do you know what the percentage is for people of color who have student loan debt right now? You know what the percentage is? I want you to take a guess. Grads. College grad or some college, they just have debt, is 85. 85% of people of color who go to college come out with significant college debt. You know why? 
because we're starting at zero sum as far as money that we can put into the system of education. So we have usually, we have to usually depend on these systems, these loan systems more so than our white counterparts. So we come out of college or we get some college, even if we get a training skill, we have paid by way of loans typically 85% according to the data. And we would greatly benefit. Now, you already know, you've already said, yes, this is partly because of the federal government. Well, am I wrong? For looking to the federal government to provide some level of remedy because it still benefits the government at large. Right now, 61% of millennials are not buying a home in this current market because they still owe student loan debt. You forgive that debt to those millennials, you have a jump in the housing market by 61% overnight. That's according to the data. That's the revenue, the taxation system, the property tax system that will go directly into K through 12 education in that local jurisdiction and it permeates beyond that. It's an ecosystem that serves itself if we can wrap our mind around it holistically. Well, I think it, you know, just waving the wand, the federal government's wand on the tail end and forgiving. I assume you're talking about federal student debt because you uh-huh. can't forgive private student debt. Um, maybe with a very narrowly tailored proposal that uh, just targets people who are somehow still living in poverty and have fallen through the cracks despite having some college education or a degree. That's narrowly focused in something perhaps uh, that you could find bipartisan compromise on. I guess okay. what's all of the top plans, whether it's Biden or AOC or Bernie's plans to quote unquote forgive debt. Again, just adding it to the federal deficit. There's no such thing as forgiving debt. It just means that the federal government says you don't owe it anymore, which means the taxpayers are gonna have to pay it off. <laughs> um, all of these plans, except you know the ones we're talking about rationally right now and finding common ground on, helping working people who have fallen through the cracks. I think you can find common ground on, but almost all of the Democrats high profile plans are tailored to help the top quintile, the top 40% of people already earning well above their peers. And it's a tax effectively on working class people who don't have college degrees. That's what I oppose. You know, it's interesting to me when we talk about conversations like this, we we engage in debate that we start you know, counting pennies. We're pinching pennies, we're counting the beans, right? Um, Who led the most massive increase of the federal deficit in modern history? Who did that? Well, I think Joe Biden's about to. No, no, sir. Who has done it? Who holds the record right now? <laughs> Before the year is out, it will be Biden, <laughs> but I assume you're gonna say Trump. Donald Trump holds the record, brother. He, he holds the record by a long way. And he holds the record because nobody brought up these arguments while he was president of the United States. But I do find it quite ironic that when we're talking about, let's say 1.7 trillion, all right? We're talking about big money here, big dollar stuff. We say, oh, you know, that's going to increase the federal deficit. But when we're talking about killing people and blowing things up, that's called war. When we're talking about war, no one ever goes to Congress and says, it would be a great idea to go to war with Iraq or go to war with Iran, but we just don't have it in the budget. For some reason, brother, we always have enough money to kill people and blow things up. We never make the money argument when it comes to war. But we only make the money argument when it comes to domestic policies that would help the same demographic, the same community that has made this country what it is today. And those are working people who don't have a bunch of income 
are using loans to invest in their own future to create a revenue upstream to give back to the same government that governs. So tell me, man, how are we having an argument about federal deficit increasing when this is actually an investment that would decrease the federal deficit because now you have more employable individuals based on the data. You have more people paying into the tax, the taxation system based on revenue. How is that a loss for the average American? Well, based on the data that you're providing and the data everyone agrees on, college grads and people with college education are already out earning their peers. So First of all, just waving the wand. I mean, I would benefit from Joe Biden's federal deficit, you know, federal loan, you know, waving his wand and saying it's it's I don't have any debt anymore. Sure, I'll take it, but I should not be benefiting. And I do agree. I mean, I'm very interested in creating economic systems that working people can get ahead in this country, whether yep. it's through trades or through improving the college education or frankly through improving the K through 12 education system and providing more choice and more um positive forces in the market for K through 12 education. As far as, I mean, I think you're, you're, you're kind of making an oversimplification on the, you know, paying for money to kill people. I think, you know, America, it's good when America is strong. It's good when America is protected. I think a lot of people on the left and, and the center agree with that. And you want to see the proof in the pudding. Look at what happened in Afghanistan with the Democrats in power. We just pulled right out. And it's been a catastrophe, not just for Afghans, but also for Americans and for America's place in the world. So it's important to invest in our own security. It's not just to drone okay. random people I don't and want serve you. the military industrial complex. I got you, man. I don't want you to fall for the okie doke because the vast majority majority of what they call defense spending does not go to the defense at all. And and I know you're smart enough to know that you're a brilliant person. You know that this has been an industrial issue. The, the military industrial complex is a connection of private companies who make a whole lot of money. And a small percentage of that money actually goes to the defense of the country. And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole with Afghanistan, but let's be clear about Afghanistan. I don't like the way Joe Biden pulled out. I don't like it, okay? I don't like the way we went in either. We went in without a plan, we came out basically without a plan. The real issue at the center of this is who are we as a nation? We went to war with Afghanistan as if we were going to war with the country. Afghanistan isn't even a united country. It never has been and it never will be by the way. We were at war with an ideology, but we went to war with a country, it doesn't make sense. And the ideology brother permeated from our own policies. And we failed to address how our policies got us in this mess in the first place. We are still making the same mistakes as a nation where we think that everybody has to accept our policies and we're not creating enemies based on our policies abroad. And until we start addressing the hypocritical nature of our policies in the United States of America, America domestically and abroad, we will continue to co-create terrorists who will attack our interests and this nation. You don't agree? No, I think you 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 don't you don't create terrorists. Terrorists are poisoned by their own ideology and showing weakness as the Biden administration has, or as people who make the argument that if we were just nicer and if we just spent less on it's our not defense, about that. then then we wouldn't get attacked. I mean, look at Western Europe; they're being attacked all the time. And if you look at what you know, investing in in strength is important. Yeah. And just okay. ask 
if you if we could be only be in the inside of what the Chinese Politburo meetings are talking about with you know how America's defense has been declining, I think a lot of people would say you know a strong robust military is important. But back to the the point, I mean, I would be fine with trimming our deficits via reduction in defense spending if it was intelligent, and I certainly support trimming our deficits and not expanding the federal government. Working people are going to be paying for the expansion in federal government that we're witnessing, both under Trump, but even accelerated under Biden for generations to come. And I think just starting in the form of inflation and and as far as tax rates are concerned in the next few years. The evils of terrorism, as evil as terrorism is, it is a mental process. It starts by a mental process. And as long as we continue to have antithetical international policies. They will utilize those antithetical policies as recruitment fodder for their cause. And that is what I would like us to address next time you're on the show. Brother, I appreciate you being on Indisputable. Thank you, sir.